Psalm 87, starting in verse 1. It's a psalm for the sons of Korah. It says, His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of God, Selah. I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to them that know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Ethiopia, this man was born there. And of Zion it shall be said, this and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. The Lord shall count when he writeth up the people that this man was born there, Selah. As well the singers as the players on the instrument shall be there. All my springs are in thee. Now, as we come to Psalm 87, it is very possible that you opened up your Bible this week, that you turned to Psalm 87, that you read, and that you said, Huh? What does this mean? Right, it's not like it, the Psalms that we've been going through uh, here lately. Um, this is not a this is not a, a Psalm where uh, David or Asaph or a, or a person is crying out to God for help. Um, it's not a a uh, really a, a personal prayer as far as a supplication goes. Um, but I would submit. And we'll see as we get finished with the uh, as we work through the psalm. I hope the the dots will, will will connect in your mind that what we have in Psalm 87, though it is uh, worded in uh, in some obscure ways, there's some references here that you have to dig a little bit to understand what's being said. But I would say that in this little tiny seven verse psalm is contained. Um, one of the biggest themes that we find developed and unfolding throughout Scripture. Um, I was almost going to say you could just about fit the entire Bible in Psalm 87. That might be a tad bit of an exaggeration, but it's not much of one. Uh, this is a small psalm that packs a humongous punch if we can understand what it is that the psalmist is referring to here. And so... Um, the title of the message as far as Psalm 87, I think, you know, John Newton did it well. I'm not going to try to outdo him. Glorious things of thee are spoken. Glorious things of thee are spoken. So this is a psalm that is about Zion. Right? His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. So this is a, this is a psalm that is about Zion, and it's really split up into three different... Um, uh, three different aspects. So you have the city of Zion, you have the citizens of Zion, and then you have the springs of Zion. So if you can take those three, uh, you can think your way through this. Now we have not yet unpacked what we're talking about here, so it still might not uh, be firing as far as, okay, what does that have to do with anything? Um, but the, the psalm focuses in on the beauties on the glories on the um, uh, the the uniqueness of Zion and then Zion's inhabitants so the first section here verses one through three he just it's a, it's a before I start getting into the details this is this is a psalm of of 
praise, of exaltation. It's a, it's a psalm where, where the psalmist is just taking some time to glory in what God glories in. Okay, So, uh, the city of Zion, verses 1 through 3, let's, let's just read it. His, his foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of God, Selah. You remember, Selah is just pause, pause and ponder. Think about these things. So before we can really understand what's happening in this psalm, we need to understand what is what are we talking about when we're talking about Zion? I mean, it's a it's a term and a name that you're familiar with. We sing songs about it. We're marching to Zion and glorious things of thee are spoken. Zion, city of our God. I mean, it's not a, a foreign term, but I think uh, sometimes if we don't really have a clarity as to what is going on with the development of this term, then we'll miss what's being said, not just in Psalm 87, but this is, this is something that's going to be built on in the New Testament in a large way. You're more familiar with it than you may think you are, or may think you are, and, and, and uh, we'll see that as we, as we go. So in the Old Testament, uh, Zion carries a geographical significance. Okay? It's, a, it's, a, it's an actual place. And that represents a greater theological significance in the New Testament. Okay, So Zion, it's important that, that we kind of understand here when we're thinking about Zion, we're starting out here, and we're going to try to get closer and closer to the middle of understanding this. In the Old Testament, it's about location. In the New Testament, it carries a tremendous theological significance that is pictured in the location that we find in the Old Testament. So... In the Old Testament, Zion is a growing term. Okay, so that's important for you to, to, to know. It's used in different ways. Um, and it's a growing term that uh, comes to refer to, first of all, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 7, um, the city of David. It was in Jerusalem. It wasn't the entire city of Jerusalem, but it was a place in Jerusalem that was the city of David. This is where Solomon would eventually build the temple. First Kings chapter 8, verse 1 tells us that. And the first mention of Zion is there. Well, eventually, the term Zion or the name Zion begins to be used to refer to Jerusalem as a whole. Okay? Jerusalem was the holy city. You can see in Psalm 51... That's close by. Psalm 51, uh, verse 18. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. That's a parallel statement there. So do good in Zion, build in Jerusalem. So Zion was, was a, a word that would refer to Jerusalem, which was the city of God, the special place where God's special temple with His special presence was located. And then in Isaiah 51, Isaiah 51, uh, verse 18, 
Isaiah 51, verse 18, There is none to guide her among all the sons whom she hath brought forth, neither is there any that taketh her by the hand of all the sons that she hath brought forth. And I'm in the wrong verse here, and I don't know what, where I messed up on my reference, but somewhere in Isaiah 51, if you want to read that chapter, Zion, and this is other places as well, is not just referred to, um, not just referring to Jerusalem, but it's referring to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Okay, it's the people. Okay, so in the, what is it? 16. I've put my words in thy mouth, and I have covered thee in the shadow of my hand, that I might plant the heavens, and lay the foundations of the earth, and say unto Zion, Thou art my people. That's the right verse. Thank you. Um, so it's, it's a place where God's holy temple was. It's Jerusalem that was later called God's holy city. And it's the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So it's a location and it's a people all at the same time. But in the New Testament, well, let me say this before we bridge over to the New Testament. In Psalm 132, we get one more point of clarity. Psalm 132, verse 13. It says, For the Lord hath chosen Zion, He hath desired it for His habitation. Okay, now we're getting closer to what Psalm 87 is talking about. So Zion, again, it was, it was the city of David. It was Jerusalem as a whole. It was the inhabitants of Jerusalem. But really, what made Zion special, what made Zion unique among every other place in the world is that Zion was the place where God chose for His habitation. He dwelt there in a way that He didn't dwell anywhere else. God's presence was fully known in Zion. Uh, Jerusalem in and of itself was not a special place as, as far as um, uh, geographically or as far as what all was there compared to everything else uh, in the world and other places in the world. But Jerusalem was head and shoulders above every other geographical location because God dwelt there. And His presence was there. And it became this a uh, very, very important, special um, uh, place in the hearts and minds of Israel. You'll remember, you remember whenever we were in Daniel and when Daniel prayed, do you remember where Daniel faced? Jerusalem. Why? Because that was a special place where God's presence dwelt in a special way. That was Zion. Now, in the New Testament, this begins on this begins to take on a different shape. Look in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We said in the Old Testament it was it was about geography. This is the place geographically where God dwells. In the New Testament it takes on more of a theological meaning. In Hebrews chapter 12, This chapter, there's a contrasting between uh, Sinai and what happened with Moses on the mount and, and uh, 
And then in verse 22, he's contrasting and he's saying, you haven't gone, you haven't come to Sinai, but Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 says, you have come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels. Okay, so now when we get into the New Testament, we see that Zion is a heavenly city with a heavenly citizenship. He says, you've come to this heavenly city and and uh, it's the city of the living God. It's, it's, it's the Jerusalem in the Old Testament was a type of what this is. This is the heavenly Jerusalem. This is a spiritual um, uh, city, not a geographical location. And he says the citizenship here is an innumerable company of angels. Okay, so we get here and, and we could go to other places in the New Testament, but we see that Zion takes on a spiritual, theological, this is the city of the living God where God dwells and where God will gather His people and where this place is, there are innumerable angels present as well. So what do we we do with that? Well, New Testament perspective, Zion is not viewed as an earthly kingdom, but now Zion is viewed here as the kingdom of God. It's that kingdom that Daniel prophesied about. And it finds its greatest earthly expression in the church. You've, you've, you've come here to Mount Zion. What does that mean? You've come here to the place where God dwells. It's not just where God dwells, but it's where God brings His people in to dwell. And it's this heavenly Jerusalem, this place that's known, that it's, it's known for God dwelling here in such a way that He doesn't dwell anywhere else. And so the kingdom of God or the city of God, or Psalm 87 talks about that God loves the city gates here more than any other of Jacob's dwellings. This city of God or kingdom of God is, is one that uh, is changing, one that has changed from a physical location to a spiritual realm. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 4. Now, I'm not going to spend all night talking about this psalm, but if you're wondering when I'm going to get to the psalm, I haven't gotten to it yet. I'm setting it up. Okay, So if you're thinking, what verse are we in? We're not in a verse yet. If we don't understand what Zion is, and we don't understand how this, this is a brief treatment on this, how this weaves its way through the New Testament, Psalm 87 is not going to make any sense to us. So John chapter 4, John chapter 4, This is where Jesus meets the woman at the well. Um, you remember her question to Jesus? It's almost like she's trying to change the subject. And for time's sake, I'm not going to go through all of it. But her question in verse 20 is, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Well, why would the Jews say that? 
Because that was Zion. That's where God dwelt in a very special way. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Jesus is saying here, Zion used to be the place where God was worshipped, where the Father was worshipped, but that's not going to be the case. There is coming a time, and we're in that time, where those who would come into the city of God would come there through spirit and through truth. This would be a spiritual reality where God was worshipped in a spiritual city. We would call it, as, as, uh, as far as where we are right now, a spiritual assembly where God dwells with His people in a very special way. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll see where this kind of weaves in here. Verse 5, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and that he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, you should bring forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Now, just if you want to do this on your own, because we don't have time tonight, look at Psalm 87 as a whole, and look at 1 Peter chapter 2, 5-10, through 10, and look at all the similarities that are laid out. There's, there's several that weave through there. What Peter's saying is, uh, uh, that you're being built up into this spiritual house or this spiritual habitation. Well, again, Psalm 87, he loves the gates of Zion. This is where he loves to dwell more than any of Jacob's habitations. Um, uh, he's saying that you are, uh, you have been made a spiritual house, a spiritual priesthood, and so forth and so on. And, and, and it's just another... New Testament expression, a New Testament development of what started in the Old Testament in the city of David as Zion, where God dwells. It started out as a very special geographical location. At this point, God could give a rip about the dirt on the ground in Jerusalem. Zion is where His people have been gathered together and where he meets with his people in a very special way. And it's this spiritual reality that grows and grows. And then the ultimate expression of Zion is going to come in the new heavens and the new earth as the new Jerusalem, Zion, 
is brought down from God to us and He dwells with His people as their God and they as His people. Revelation 21. So back to, back to Psalm 87. Think about that now as we read these first three verses. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things of thee are spoken, O city of God. Number one, in, in verse one, he talks about the fact that he's, his foundation is in the holy mountain. That is, God has laid his foundations here. This is God's house that he has built. He has laid the foundations here. Um, you remember it says in Hebrews chapter 11 about Abraham that he was looking for a better city, one whose foundations were laid by God. You remember that? Direct reference to what we're talking about here. He, he loves the gates of Zion more than the dwellings of Jacob. Again, the psalmist here is just glorying in the fact that God loves to dwell here. This is, if you want to know where God is, you need to go to where God dwells. If you want to experience the blessing of God's presence, then you go to the city that He loves. And then, glorious things are spoken of thee. Why? Well, it's, again, it's not because Jerusalem was so glorious in and of itself. It's not because there were so many impressive things that were going on in Jerusalem. It was because it was the city of the living God. You think about how the church parallels to that. I mean, here we are on a Wednesday night, right? I'm not that impressive. You're not that impressive. But this is a glorious place. Because God dwells here. And God dwells with His people and we receive blessings from Him. And that's why Wednesday after Wednesday and Sunday after Sunday, you endure all the earthly inconveniences that go along with being here. And so it starts in thinking about Jerusalem. It moves into thinking about the blessings of the church. And then obviously the, the fulfillment we just talked about. So the city of Zion is a glorious city because there is a glorious God who dwells there. It's a glorious city because God has expressed his presence there in a way that he has not expressed it anywhere else. And so number two, the citizens of Zion the citizens of Zion, verses 4 through 6. Every city has citizens, right? And so 4 through 6, I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to them that know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia, this man was born there. And of Zion it shall be said, this and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. The Lord shall count when he rideth up the people that this man was born there. Selah. Again, if we're unfamiliar with the way the Old Testament uh, speaks and also just unfamiliar with the way the Psalms and Hebrew poetry works, we'll just get lost in the, in the midst of all the details. In verse 4, the psalmist is saying, um, essentially, God will bring His natural enemies in as citizens. 
Who are the citizens of Zion? Well, they're God's natural enemies. Now, to a Jew, this would mean something far different than it means to us. Because it was just the Jewish people who were the inhabitants of Zion. Rahab, that's just another name for Egypt. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 7. um, You can see how it's used there. So Rahab or Egypt to the south, Babylon over here, uh, Philistia, Tyre, Ethiopia, all these surrounding cities that were the enemies of Jerusalem, that were the enemies of God's people. He says, I will make mention of them. What's he going to say about them? He's going to say, this man was born there. What does that mean? What's the significance of that? Well, what he's saying is, all these nations that you know who have been your enemies your entire life and throughout your, your, your time as a nation, all of these enemies are going to be brought in and they're going to be treated as if they were born into they're going to be natural birth citizens of Zion. Now, we don't have to think too hard to figure out how this parallels into what we understand in the New Testament, do we? Romans chapter 5. We'll turn there. Romans chapter 5. You'll, you'll, you'll see the language. Um, starting in verse 8, it says, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You see, the truth is, the story of Egypt and Babylon and the rest of Israel's enemies, that's our story. That's us. The reality is the story of Israel's enemies as far as they relate to God is also the story of Jerusalem. They were God's enemies, really. That's why God continued to bring judgment. That's why we talked about the whole Babylonian captivity, although that was uh, discipline or chastisement. They lived as if they were God's enemies. And what we're seeing in Psalm 87, what we see in Romans chapter 5, is that God populates His city with his enemies. He brings them in to dwell with his special presence in a special way. Now, what about this? Look in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, what we're talking about when we look at uh, these kinds of things, like Romans 5 and, and Ephesians 2, we're, we're not spiritualizing anything. So if you're not tracking with what I'm saying, if you'll take the, the verses and you'll go look at them side by side, um, we're not straining to make the connections. They're there. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, it is loaded with similar themes. Of Psalm 87. I mean, it's 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 all over the place. So if while I'm saying it, you're thinking, this is just too deep. It's not too deep. You just if you'll get the passage by the passage, you can you can see it for yourself. Um, 
This is not some special wisdom me or anybody else has. It's right there in Scripture. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, speaking of Jesus Christ, um, it says, For through Him we both have access by one Spirit into the Father. Well, who? both who? Well, both Jews and Gentiles, right? So you have the people who were God's national people, and then you have people who were their enemies and God's enemies. Both of us come to Him through the cross and um, uh, through by one Spirit. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. It'll be said of these people, you were born in Zion. That's what Psalm 87 says. What Paul's saying here is that you're no longer strangers, but you belong in the, in, the, in the company of God's people as much as anybody else. You're fellow citizens. You have every right, you have every privilege as any other citizen. You've been brought in. And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Well, who laid that foundation? Okay, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. That is, you are being built together by the Spirit as a spiritual building for God to inhabit. Okay. So many parallels in Ephesians chapter 2 to Psalm 87. As God is building His church through Jesus Christ and the foundations have been laid, Jews and Gentiles have been brought in, they've both been made, been given full citizenship into the kingdom of God or Zion, and they've been brought into the church so that God could inhabit this spiritual temple that He's building. It's really a beautiful picture. That's why Psalm 87 is taking the time not to, you'll notice, you would never go to Psalm 87 to say, let me learn more about Zion. Because if all you had was Psalm 87, it'd be pretty confusing. Okay, Psalm 87 is saying, Zion is glorious. Let me tell you a few of the high points, but it is glorious. It is, it is greater and far more wondrous than, than we can imagine. And this is, this is somebody in the Old Testament writing. They don't, they don't even have what we have as we, we move into the new. So it will be said of these strangers in Psalm 87, it will be said of these enemies that they, that this man was born there. Verse 5, And of Zion it shall be said, This and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. Well, you don't have to think too hard to make the connection to John chapter 3 on this, do you? Where Jesus tells Nicodemus, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. He cannot see the kingdom of heaven. How is it that you are born into Zion? How is it that these people could uh, be spoken of? These people who were obviously not born into the national people of God. How could they be called people who were born in Zion. And the reality is, the same way we can say that. It's people who were born of the Spirit of God 
And when the Lord blessed them and regenerated them through the power of that spirit, they were born into the kingdom, just like every other person is born into the kingdom of God through the new birth. And they're given citizenship there. They're given privileges there. They're given blessings there. But to the natural eye, it makes zero sense. Who would have thought somebody from Babylon could be called a born citizen of the kingdom of God? I can guarantee you none of the Jews would have thought that. Who now could think that someone who spent their entire life immersed in a Muslim culture could be called someone who has been born into the city of God? Who could ever think that someone who spent their entire life immersed into a self-centered, hedonistic, materialistic culture could say, I've been born into the kingdom of God. If you're not catching who I'm talking about, I'm talking about you. Okay. Who would have thought? This is what Psalm 87 is talking about. You're brought in naturally as a stranger, but you're born into it. As a child, someone who belongs there by birth, it, it, it really does make us think about Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 and 5, which, which we say a lot here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. How? How does that work? According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy um, without blame, before Him in love. And then the, the fifth verse, um, being predestinated or being predestined as adopted sons. What's, what's, what's being said there? Well, we're, we're naturally strangers, naturally children of wrath, but we've been adopted through Jesus Christ to come and live before the presence of God. Now, we could dice this thing up all night and, and at some point it would no longer be fruitful. But you realize that simply by having your physical body on the pew doesn't give you access to the blessings we're talking about, don't you? It's, it's not about physically being here. It's about the fact that that this, the, the, the one who dwells in Zion has adopted you as his child and has given you life through his spirit so that as you come, not only do you recognize, but you enjoy the blessing of his presence as you meet with him, as you meet with his people, as you worship together. Psalm 87 verse 6 says, The Lord shall count when He writeth up the people that this man was born there. He shall count as He writeth up the people. It reminds us of Revelation 21. Revelation 21. It's talking about counting the inhabitants of Zion. Writing it up saying that this man or that man was born here. In Revelation 21, verse 23, 
speaking of the heavenly Jerusalem, it says the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God did lighten it and the lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. Okay, These are all the kings and all the nations. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see that back in Psalm 87? He will count when he writeth up the people that this man was born there. No one's sneaking in. No one's hopping the fence. What he's saying here is that everyone whom God brings into Zion, he intends for them to be there. He intended, them, he intended for them to be there before they ever got there. And when they are there, now think about this, when they are there, He knows it. Now you can miss what I'm saying here, but if we believe that there is going to be an innumerable host in heaven, to think that God has marked the book that Lewis showed up is incredible, isn't it? Or that whoever else, plug your name in the, in the thing. That God is so personally committed and personally in love with each and every one of His people that not only did He record as far as planning goes, but He's checking the list off as we get there. He knows that we're there and he celebrates that. This man was born here. This man was born here, he says. And so, God's enemies brought into Zion and given full birthright citizenship among his people. That's the citizens of Zion. And then lastly, the springs of Zion, out of verse 7. As well, the singers... As the players on the instrument shall be there, all my springs are in thee. Now, singing, praising, playing instruments, all these things uh, in uh, some of the other manuscripts, there's dancing in this passage. The, the whole point of it is, is that they are rejoicing in the blessings of Zion. Springs are metaphorical for blessings or provisions. And you could go to Revelation 22 and see that. Uh, you could go to other prophetic uh, uh, books in the Old Testament and see that as well. So what he's saying is, all my springs, the last half of that verse, all my springs are in thee. All of my blessings are in thee. What's he saying? It's just what we've said again and again and again. If you want to lay hold of the blessings of God, as blood-bought citizens of Zion, then you go to Zion, right? That's where the blessings are. They're, they're among His people. They're among His spiritual temple that He is building up. They're in His kingdom, in His church. And where do these come from? 
Well, we better not forget that these springs or that these blessings that are in Zion are all flowing straight to us from Jesus Christ. You remember on Sunday when we talked about Jesus as Jacob's ladder, as the one who's the go-between between heaven and earth and the angels that were descending and, and ascending and Christ as our mediator, as the conduit through which we receive every blessing we would ever receive. In, in John chapter 7, Jesus talks about Himself as being the living waters. The one who is thirsty and drank would no longer thirst. The psalmist says, all my springs are here. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Right? We're talking about God's blessings, God's provisions for His people. This is the last place we'll go. Revelation 22. Look how it's used here. Revelation 22, 1 through 4 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. What is this? This is one of the springs of Zion. That's what he's referring to here. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. Now, let's jump all the way down to verse 17. It says, and the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You see the imagery here? The imagery here is that this, this river that precedes, um, uh, this uh, water springs that proceed from the throne of God are the blessings of God that are making their way to His people. And, and he ends with, are you thirsty? Well, then come, take freely. Well, where do you go? Well, you got to go to where the river is, right? you got to go to where the springs are. You have to go to where the blessings are. And the blessings come down to us through Christ. And in the most... Um, uh, in the most, uh, I don't know, intense is not the right way, not the right word, but in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the most expressive form, we find ourselves in God's kingdom, in God's church, enjoying the blessings of God's presence. And so, again, brothers and sisters, we may think about, we come Sunday after Sunday, and we come Wednesday after Wednesday, and Maybe Sunday afternoon after Sunday afternoon, we think, what's the point? I get, I get tired and, and there are other things that are buying for my attention and for my time. And it's a very difficult season in life. And, and there are other things that I could be doing and maybe even need to be doing. And the answer to that is, there's no other place where God's special presence dwells than in His house with His people. 
glorious things of thee are spoken. Zion, city of our God. And so where God meets with his people is unlike any other place and any other experience. And by that, I don't mean a getting yourself wrapped up in, a, in an emotional deal, but any other uh, provision that you could possibly encounter. And so we say again, along with John Newton and the psalmist in Psalm 87, glorious things of thee are spoken. He's not talking about God. He's talking about God's city, right? Glorious things of thee are spoken. Zion city of our God. Because that's where you dwell. And that's where we want to be. Let's pray. Father, we have... Uh, We've, we've covered a lot of information. And Father, uh, I just pray that You would impress this information onto our hearts and onto our minds. Lord, it is a privilege to be a citizen of Zion. It is a privilege to be able to be brought into, to be um, uh, a, a, a full citizen of the city of God. And Father, while all of those Images are so loaded with rich theology and, and spiritual realities from Scripture. Uh, we just say thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for your church. And Father, thank you for the blessings that we experience now and for the blessings that we anticipate that this is just a foretaste of when the new Jerusalem comes down from you to us. I pray that these things would be realities in our hearts and minds and that you would impress them on us through the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.